Knock, knock, guess who is knocking at your door? That's right, you know it's the morning for sure. Might be a geoff, it could be. Maybe it's been around me. No, you love this week in Mormons, original Mormon news. If you love Lindsay Sterling, Bryce Harper in Utah, and Cello Salad Foods, oh, you're gonna love this show. Hello, everybody. Welcome to This Week in Mormons. For those of you listening internationally, you might not be aware that America just celebrated her 244th birthday. That's right, 244 years of global domination. You're welcome, world. Welcome to TWIM. It's great to have you all here. That's my intro. Imperialism manifest destiny. Am I right, Josie? Yes, of course. I had my celebratory, I ate a hot dog, felt very patriotic. And that was about all I did. Oh, no, I went to the pool. No fireworks in Singapore, but that's about as far as I celebrated. How about you? They don't allow fireworks in Singapore? Eh, no. I guess they're not big on like litter. I know they're really not big on litter there, so maybe that is part of it. Oh, no. Okay, look. National Day here, tons and tons of fireworks. But I mean, I like, we're not everyone. setting off our own fireworks. Did you see that amazing video shot from a chopper in Los Angeles? Because fireworks are illegal all over Southern California for personal use. And yet it's nighttime and this chopper's flying over the Southland and it's this ma- beautiful shot, wide shot of illegal fireworks being launched from all these neighborhoods, like sc- ones in the sky. So it's just all these fireworks exploding in the sky. And someone actually took the footage and put the opening music for Blade Runner on it because okay. it's a lot like the opening of Blade Runner. It's just amazing, guys. You should look it up. You'll be really happy if you do. I promise. I, I have not seen that one. So Anyway... My fourth was lovely. It was muggy because that's how it is in Virginia. And I shouldn't complain about that because you basically live on the equator. I was going to say, don't Uh, complain to me about humidity. (laughs) But it was fine. You know, know, it's a COVID fourth. So, uh, but we've got some family in Charlottesville. So we felt okay going and seeing them and hanging out and playing around and barbecuing and doing all the typical stuff and letting the kids freak out and crack up at fireworks. Fireworks are very legal in Virginia because what's going to catch on fire? The just the moist, well-watered everything. No, nothing's going to catch it can't. Nothing Virginia's never had a fire, I'm pretty sure. In any way. Go. Buildings, nature, buildings, fireplaces, surely. it's never happened. Virginia's okay, okay. never been. Never, not once. Impossible. Even during the colonial era. But I always remember... Log cabins. Those never burnt down. The thing that amazes me, though, and this, is, this isn't this is like American exceptionalism or anything, but the fact that is they signed the Declaration of Independence on July 4th in Philadelphia, in July. And they wore lots of layers back then. I just can't imagine how uncomfortable it was physically during those times. I thought of all no those layers were to like keep the smell in. So you probably were. Really, it's a very courteous thing to do for the people around you. And we're complaining about masks. I mean, Ayo. Ayo. There we go. No, I'm just kidding. No, so actually, in COVID Singapore sort of news, we're really excited over here because we have finally and officially entered our phase two, quote unquote, um, which basically means we can meet up like with five people. And we can go to the shops and we can go out to restaurants. And so far, that's kind of about it. There's some, I, I think more than anything, it's 
been interesting watching what different countries choose to deem as like appropriate to open sooner than others or what's an essential service or whatever that may be. Um, yeah, priorities are definitely different from country to country or in the U S probably from state to state. So, um, and also for, I think the last time that I was on here, I'd mentioned how I had gone for my little nasal swab training and some sad news. I've been completely ghosted. (laughs) So yeah, I've actually been quite disappointed with this. They sent me an email offering me a contract and then I followed up and followed up and nothing. So um, what some people would suspect and what I probably suspect, but again, I don't have any way to confirm this, is that those jobs were probably meant to go first to Singaporeans, like to help those yeah. who kind of need um that little financial support and having that job, which is fair, but also a bit of bummer. I was also <laughs> like, I'm not Singaporean, but I am here and also still need of some employment as journalism takes a hit during this time. So, um, but yeah, unfortunately no, no exciting news on that, except I was prepped. I was ready. I was excited. I had a almost free schedule. I offered them all of my time and I got nothing. So, well, I'm sorry you got ghosted. Yeah, this lockdown's been a, it's been a treat. <laughs> I'm glad it's over. <laughs> do you guys Disney Plus? Do they even do that in Singapore? No, you can't get you it in it? Singapore. So, well, I mean, technically, there's quite a few families here that work some little VPN magic and make that happen. Yeah, you can do that. But no, uh, my husband and I haven't. What are we missing well, out on? You're missing Hamilton. Hamilton. I, I finally watched say. Hamilton. I, so. I feel like I'm part of the conversation, you know, all the five years later, uh, along with apparently much of America, because that was all the, it was everywhere on social mm. media and news articles and stuff. Hamilton was pretty great. I'm glad I finally got to watch that. I mean, that was, uh, that was something else. Well, I would love to. I'm spoiler, sure I have a friend here. Who, he dies. No, don't give me a spoiler, please. He don't. He dies. No, stop. Hamilton okay. dies. Fine. You're no fun at all. Um, but yeah, I'll find somebody who's got it here and have a have a. Watch oh my at goodness! Some point. It was so great. And at first, I was a little skeptical. I was worried it was going to be you know overhyped for all these years. Like, all right, let's finally see this thing. It'll be fine. And at, and at first, I was like, okay, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine, but then it just sucks you in. It just grabs you with all of its creativity and the the whole structure of it. Brilliantly done. Well done, Lynn manuel Miranda, Miranda writes. You have done wonderful things. You got the twin seal of approval, buddy. Oh, even, I praise even with, the deed. Even with some of the adult themes in Hamilton, it's okay because that's history. I am a little bit worried that when I finally get around to watching it, I'm going to be like the last person on the planet who's like, guys, have you seen this show called Hamilton? I'd be super excited about it. And everybody's like, yeah, that yeah, was you, like you, you a got, decade ago. You guys but should probably look into the VPN. Look on, jump, and, uh, jump on that. Yeah, try this out. Uh, so Josie, if I'm not mistaken, you're famous for this podcast, right? Like everyone knows you. Oh, but yeah, but but you are you're hungry. You're hungry for more, and I believe you now have a new endeavor. I think you should tell everyone about <laughs> well, this, what else you're doing in podcasting. Give is, us the skinny. Yeah, this is what lockdown does to you in a studio apartment <laughs> <laughs> for nearly three months. We actually had a friend who looked up like what the technical definition of like 
torture is from solitary confinement. Cause we have quite a few friends here who like, if you know, you're separated from your partner, like they're working in one place and you didn't get back to Singapore in time and you're on your own. Apparently it's 12 days of solitary confinement constitutes torture. And some of them have been through, you know, about 90. So it was, it was pretty rough over here. Um, it obviously I had my husband here, but again, small apartment. So it was cheery, cheery stuff. So anyways, we have created a podcast called careering and it's like an interview podcast with people that we speak to from all over the world. And they're in a variety of different jobs. And the whole point is to understand what a person actually does in their job. And because we like to come up with lots of creative job titles or descriptions that sound kind of wishy-washy and like we don't actually know, you know, what do you do day to day? Um, And that seems like some pretty important information to have as a teenager or like a parent of a teenager when you're trying to figure out what do I do with my life? So um, we're hoping that this can be like a pretty good resource for some teens. And again, for those parents, the episodes are short. We're doing like about 20 minutes to you know, just chat with a professional about their day-to-day work, what interests their work satisfies, different career paths, and importantly, how much money that kind of job can actually make. And so uh, hopefully it'll spark some curiosity and I think realize that there are lots of options out there. So that's what we're doing. It's a good idea because it's kind of a podcast form of like meeting with a career counselor, but you're getting getting a lot more you know, from the horse's mouth. Yeah. And hoping for a lot of different, um, like some diversity in, um, people in different countries, but also like the jobs themselves. So it's not just like, okay, your options are like doctor, lawyer, accountant. And if you're bored stiff, then you're kind of like, well, I'm just never going to make a very good living. Like, what do you do? Or there's so many jobs like Jeff, I don't, maybe I'm jumping to a conclusion here, but would you have known in high school that like your job existed as it does like there are just a lot of things that you don't really find out until you kind of are swimming and trying to figure it out and desperately grabbing at sorts of ideas out there and also you know you're usually exposed to whatever your parents or your parents friends um what industries they are in and networks are a huge and important thing much to my own personal frustrations of figuring that out a little too late in life um <laughs> and so I think just being able to have this kind of introduction hopefully will be helpful. That's awesome. Yeah, so, so that's what I've been up to. The now, <laughs> one now, of the things. The, the careering podcast. Is it only available on Spotify? Do you have it up on the all of the various channels? Is it on Google? Uh Apple? okay. Um I don't know yet. So Spotify it definitely and and like I can send around a link for that so that I don't think you need a Spotify premium to be able to play that. And yeah. I, uh, you are a like podcast extraordinaire. You have all sorts of experience with this. I'm still trying to work out how to get it onto other platforms. So stand by. <laughs> You're doing great. Thanks. Well, that's cool. Thank you. So, so to back up a little bit, many weeks ago, I'm just going to lead off. With the first one Josie put here on my list, because that's where it is, and I'm a follower. Everybody, the church did announce the groundbreaking, groundbreaking, groundbreaking for the Orem, Utah Temple. Woo-hoo. Congratulations, everyone. It's the Orem, Utah Temple. So, Jeff, I saw 
Um, we posted about this on our website with the little picture of what the Orem Temple will look like. Um, right. What do you like about this temple or dislike? Well, how are you feeling about the architecture? Well, Jocelyn, since you're asking, um, I'm impressed you didn't go for Josephine. I usually get that one. I know what your full name is. Oh, so okay. I, li- <laughs> I okay. like the I like the spire. The spire has some Art Deco flair to it, so I like that. Uh, there's no Moroni on this temple. Once again, the plot thickens about the future of Moroni on our temples. In the, it'll be really curious because whenever President Nelson dies, whatever this is, will the stick or will his successor be like yeah we should have moroni on stuff guys you could just put one put one up there up there for you there or him uh so i mostly like the spire because if you if you did not look at the spire if you were to cover the spire and look at the rest of the temple it just looks kind of like the just just predictable contemporary style we have on other temples it's its own building of course as its own structure but and you can tell the floor plan of it uh, and the, st- the framework is kind of based on the same one as the Tuella Valley Temple. Uh, I think the one in Saratoga Springs. They'll vary in size, but they seem to follow the square box structure. So for me, mostly the spire. The rest of it's kind of like fine, but a little more predictable and playing it safe. So I don't sure. find it terribly interesting. Um, but it looks good. It'll be 70,000 square feet. Three levels are going to break ground on September 5th, 2020. And, uh, yeah, there she is. I put a useless stat in the article. It will be the Utah County's first temple on the eastern shore of Utah Lake to be situated west of Interstate 50. Okay. What is a capper? You mentioned this in your article. And what is this like a architectural term that I don't know? You kept referring to it, it having a pretty good looking capper. And I don't know what this is. Okay, first of all, you said I kept referring to it. A very quick control Sorry, F of the Sorry, it was once. The word capper is used once. I feel One like time. the, the, the last, maybe two weeks back or so, I feel like and there you- was another temple announcement and capper kept coming up. So it's been stuck in my brain that I haven't figured out that's what this just thing some, is. That's just some sweet Jeff slang for the top of a temple. Okay. The cap, if you will. That's all I'm saying. There's oh, no architectural that- term. Oh, I legit Googled it and was like, this isn't a thing. <laughs> what is the capper? It's not a thing. I don't okay. claim for it to be a thing. All right. I didn't study architecture, Josie. I studied political science and nationalism. I can tell you all you all you could ever want to know about, you know, Wallonian separation movements oh. in Belgium. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get into that. That sounds like a conversation for another time. So. Um, or never. Dixie State. Or never. <laughs> um, so you mentioned this also again a couple weeks ago that – Dixie State University was getting some flack for the name Dixie being in the name of the university. And they have released a little statement that they are considering the name change. They have no suggestions really of what the name might change to. Honestly, I thought it was kind of a lukewarm announcement of like, we're thinking about it and we hope that this announcement will appease people who are upset about it. But we haven't announced any action, so that's where Dixie State is at. Um, but on but on the flip side, at least they're acknowledging that this is an issue that they need to look at. Yeah, so I think I think it's fair to say we don't have any idea yet because this is all pretty new. Yeah, it shouldn't. It should. You could argue it shouldn't be new. But the bottom line is, it's pretty new, and they're thinking about it. So at least they're going public There's- with the fact that. Some movement, but well, yeah. I mean, we're, we're, I mean, we do similar things with church. Like, like right now, we haven't gone back to church because of COVID. 
but we're able to send messaging out that says, we want you to know we're not forgetting you anybody. There are discussions about reopening and what that's what that is going to entail. We don't have anything else to share about it right now, but you know, you send this info out so that people know that you at least care enough to tell them that someday you will take action on this in some form. Wow, thanks. For someday you to will go. To, someday you will go to church again. I defend everyone. Yeah, no, no, it's fine. Like it's it's just it's. It's a little announcement. So it's a big deal to have to try and rebrand your entire university name, I'm sure. So they got to come up with a good one. Um, and speaking of rebranding, we got a nice little, uh, I love this little takedown. This is in Meridian Magazine. What do you got? Oh, good. Um, which, little Meridian. Uh, oh, there you go. You found it. Okay. So there was a little takedown of Jana Reese's column saying that, I think hers was basically like, I can still call us Mormons. And then the Meridian magazine came out with a don't call us Mormons. And this is why we aren't Mormons. And this is why you're wrong. And it was, it was a bit whiny. (laughs) And Jana's wasn't just about saying like, we can be called Mormons because she was sort of trying to, to parlay it into a discussion about idol worship in that like we're so concerned about the church's image about whether we're what we're referred to as by others that we turn the church into a, a golden calf in a sense rather than worrying about our own personal discipleship and bringing others unto Christ we become so concerned about appearances and such so that was kind of what she was right. getting at. I don't think it was her strongest article but I get where she was coming from and yeah that Joel Campbell and Lane Williams of Meridian aren't having it yeah. not having it if her, if Jana's wasn't super strong, I wouldn't say that this is a strong follow-up. That's all. Um, so I think, you know, it's reasonable to comment on, like, using the correct name that we've been directed by by President Nelson. Um, but also, there was actually, to my surprise, if you scroll down to the bottom, there's actually some reasonable comments, which is extremely rare on anything online. Uh, but there was one commenter <laughs> who had pointed out how, like, condensing names into a usable length is quite helpful and very normal in conversation. And that, you know, just pointing out, like, is there an acceptable version of this that the church leadership has approved? And it kind of seems like not yet. So, you know, are we as a people, are we still Mormons? Are we, like, saints? Are we... I mean, the whole, I don't know. I struggle with this one. I struggle, I struggle caring about this one because I I can see both sides of like trying to do earnestly what President Nelson has suggested. And then also it just doesn't work to constantly say, I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in every single situation and conversation. So, um... I'd love for there to be like uh, maybe an acceptable middle ground where you could either abbreviate some part of it or I don't know. What do you think, Jeff? Seeing as we're still this week in Mormons I, and yeah, yeah, I uh, I'm sure you love this topic. I oh I do, and also because even though they say it's not branding, okay, it's but branding. to me, it, to me, it, it is to me it's branding, and that's and there's nothing to be ashamed of about yeah. that. It's fine Let's, because if you've if you see, admittedly, these are a couple of years old, and I might have seen some of these before President Nelson took the helm. I'm not quite sure. But, um, I mean, I've seen documents from some of the marketing firms the church works with 
or the church basically owns through, you know, various shells upon shells or what have you. But they describe that, like, the church is a lifestyle brand. Like, part of our outreach efforts is about showing that it it is – it's not a lifestyle brand oh, in the like, sense of, <laughs> of, of, like, supreme or man, something like that. But better it's better have, like, water bottles coming out next year or something. I'm totally into that. <laughs> But but it, but it means something like the yeah. idea of saying like Mormon should mean a particular thing. And that's it's OK to cling to that. And it's OK to recognize that. And so it's I don't have a problem with President Nelson wanting to say, no, we need to emphasize the name of the church and the Lord's role in the church. I'm like, yeah, that's true. That's totally true. I do think there's always been a bit of a, a carve out and a difference in the official guidelines as given between the appropriate name of the church, which I always think should be supported. Like, don't call it the Church of Latter-day Saints. Don't call it the Mormon Church. Don't call it like it, the church has a name and – I do think it should be used. I don't mind if you follow typical journalistic rules where you use the full name of the church in first instance, as you should for anything. And then if you use a shorthand later on, that's fine too. But the problem is, what is the shorthand, like you said? And I still don't know because we can call ourselves Latter-day Saints. That's what everyone's doing nowadays. And it's like, okay. But I do think there's a difference between the church and the people of the church. Even though we comprise the church, don't call the church the Mormon church. But Mormonism is an all in, it's a big blanket term for a lot of different things. It means our church. It also means some of our brother and sister churches, you know, that all came from the schism and the succession crisis. And so it can mean a lot of different things. Um, That's one thing I don't, I normally don't put all of those in the same camp together, but maybe, well, you can either call it Mormonism or they, or you can call it like the latter day saint movement, okay. which does in many ways mean our church. And we are the heavy, so to speak in that, but it also means the community of Christ. It means the Bickertonites. It means a lot of people because we all stem from the same root. And that root was Joseph Smith and the Restoration. It just so happened that when Joseph Smith died, we had massive disagreements about who should be in charge and how and what that all meant. And polygamy was an issue too. But um, Fair. Yeah. Okay. But we do, we do need a shorthand. One thing I do – I don't mind a ton what Joel and Lane are saying here, though it's from Meridian Magazine. Meridian Magazine – very much toes the party line, okay? Uh, so you're not going to find a lot of – you're not reading – you know, this is not uh, Sunstone, people, all right? It's Meridian Magazine. And that's – both of them are fine, okay? They're both fine. They both do good things. So he makes a point that, like, we've renamed all this stuff. Of course it matters because it's the name of the church. He doesn't make the difference between the people of the church and the name of the church. But one thing I don't love is that he delves into history, or they delve into history, arguing that Mormon was used as a pejorative – during the pioneer times. And in many ways it was, but we also have records of Joseph Smith himself referring to Mormons and Mormonism in a completely positive, normal way. I mean, when President Nelson first came up with the rebranding proposal, edict, whatever you want to call it, uh, there were many who noted like, okay, but Joseph Smith did say like, it wasn't bad. Like he referred to Mormonism in a positive context. Like it was a part of true religion. It was a real thing. It's totally okay for the current prophet to change that because we know that, like, we're an evolving church. We're a living church. We believe in that. But uh, it's not okay to look in the past and say Mormon was just used to denigrate the Latter-day Saints. It was this insulting term levied upon them by terrible Missourians who didn't understand anything. And Mormons never did anything wrong. And the Danites never existed. So there. That is all. So there. You've got... You've got me fired up. Also, just as a quick aside, everyone, um, because we're in Meridian Magazine, I just discovered as we've been talking something truly delightful 
that only Al will really appreciate and longtime listeners. Everyone, Kevin Beckstrom, famous for the Zarahemla Times, one of our favorite segments oh, in the boy. early years of this show. I don't even know if Josie knows what that is. But uh, it was it's this comic strip that Kevin Beckstrom runs. It's kind of like the family circus. Yeah, I vaguely remember this. With fictitious Nephite characters. Um, this is most famous for us because we were sent an NDA by his lawyer because we were putting up his cartoons on our website. In our defense, if you clicked on them, it didn't even open them up. It linked it directly to him. We were trying to backlink this guy. We were trying to give him the twin bump. <laughs> but sure. but I, I actually... I was actually rifling through some documents and I found the the letter a couple of weeks ago and I was cracking up that I forgot we received that. Anyway, Kevin Beckstrom is at Meridian Magazine, folks. He's cartooning there. I'm so happy now. He's doing bad cartoons for Meridian Magazine, too. This is so good. This is so good. Oh, it all comes full circle, doesn't it? Look at this. So check this out. This is a is cartoon there a that has a one? Or like a um, good bad one? Josie, let me chat. I don't know. Okay. I just found this one. Oh, it's okay. called... The 4th of July in France, which, you know, so you know this is going to be a good oh, thing dear. and full of lots of oh. cultural understanding. Oh. <laughs> it, it's one panel. you got two missionaries. I think it's missionaries. Yeah. And one says, I'm disappointed that the ward isn't having a pancake breakfast for the 4th of July. Oh. And his companion says, maybe it's because we're serving in France. Is that the punchline? See, there's layers of wit. In Beckstrom's work. Is that it? That, There's literally just like two... Hold on, I'm still trying to open my chat and see it. <laughs> everyone sign up for accounts at Meridian Magazine uh, so you, so we can all come. We used to do this to them. We used to direct just our like listeners a to comment. Literally just like a two-window comic, and that's it? That's a one-window comic. Oh, that's what? it? Oh, heavens. Zarahemla Times has not been updated since 2018, which makes me very sad. I remember when he went color. Oh, that was a big week. He's moved on to bigger and better things. Apparently. At least Sarah Hemla Times would have a couple of panels in it. This one's great. Like Maybe he's I trying like the New Yorker version. Like, let's just have a little, you know. Um, no, that, that would be an actual political cartoon of some sort of wit. Yeah, that's fair. Well, you know Kevin what? Beckstrom. Things to strive for. It's like you've got Kurt Vonnegut, oh. Kevin Beckstrom. Who's better? The answer is always Kevin Beckstrom. Name an author or anyone and Kevin Beckstrom is better. Than basically anybody, except for the people from Hailstorm Entertainment, because the people who wrote The Home Teachers are, they're just, they're modern day heroes. That's all I need to know. Oh, dear. They don't listen to this for me, Josie. Yeah, I got nothing nothing else for you. I'm like trying not to engage. All right. So we'll do a couple of, that's fair enough. That's the same tactic my wife takes. No, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, Um, you know, she and I have so much in common. (laughs) Yes, you you both have brown hair. Twins. All right. Uh, Quick note, more temples are reopening. We haven't spoken a ton about this in recent weeks. At first it was novel, but now pretty much every Monday the church is coming out with a handful of more temples that are entering phase one. And all the temples still remain in phase one. There's no phase two action, as far as we're aware. Uh, The cool thing about the list this time, though, is the six ones scheduled for July 13th. Seattle, Washington, Spokane, Washington. Halifax, Nova Scotia, Montreal, Quebec, Porto Alegre, Brazil, and Los Angeles, California. The LA one's kind of the heavy, especially because California is still dealing with a lot of COVID drama. But uh, they're going to open up LA for people who want to get married. You forgot Singapore. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have a temple and we can't go to church yet. So Neither can I. Yeah. So temples reopening and then another, let's see, 
I'm going to throw out another quick midway mention here. Uh, this one is mostly just satire that I thought was funny. Props to the website The Daily Frick, which I don't... <laughs> which, <laughs> That's insane. Which is, gr- which Jeff, is great. I mean, it's The Daily You missed that as the podcast rebranding opportunity. Why aren't we The Daily the da- Frick? We should be The or Daily the weekly. Frick. Anyway. The weekly's not taken. Anyways. Oh, good job. Sleep off. I like The Daily... The, it should be the daily fetch. That would really be what would take it. <laughs> and I love the author is Freddie Frickinger. Oh, Frickinger. Oh what no. a, anyway, the headline reads: <laughs> Statue of Missouri Governor Boggs to be displayed on Temple Square. <laughs> right. That's so great. So, um, let, let's read a little bit of this. Obviously, if Please you don't know do. your history, read it. Governor Bo- Lilburn Boggs is famous. It says here infamously issued an extermination order in 1838 that permitted and actually encouraged Mormons to forcefully expel or Missourians to forcefully expel Mormons from the state by any means necessary. Many people were killed. You know, it was bad. And he says, these are fake quotes. Remember this. It says, it doesn't matter how many atrocities he committed against the early saints. What matters is that he's a part of our history, said church spokesman Brigham Romney. (laughs) Brigham Brigham Romney? We don't. We yes. don't want to erase history. Romney also emphasized that we shouldn't judge historical figures based on today's morals. Sure, he says, we know today that a government-supported extermination of an entire religion is bad, but did they know that back then? There's no way of knowing. Many church members are applauding the addition of the new sculpture. I don't support everything he did, and I don't think it's important what side of the conflict he was on, said Dallin Smith, a young member of the church and a self-described history buff. What's more important is that he fought bravely to protect his family and his state in the war of Mormon aggression. End scene. I think this is one of the rare moments that we actually did satire well. This is better than those comics. No offense, Jeff, but I'm just Those comics aren't satire. Those comics are... No, of course not. But I mean, like, when you're trying to get a little bit of Mormon... Salinger-esque in their quality. A little bit of Mormon humor, not gonna lie. Sometimes it's pretty... Like, oh, that was kind of not funny. This is actually, I feel like this one actually hit the spot. And I like it. I think this this raises some interesting issues when you really think about it, though. Because we've talked, we've talked, we talked a lot last week with Russell and at other times. We don't have to get into a whole discussion about, you know, monuments and statues and such. But it is worth remembering that I think for most Latter-day Saints, we would say we would probably not love to see a statue of Lilburn Boggs anywhere, like anywhere. If you were to see, if they've got a statue of him on the state grounds in Jefferson City at the Capitol building or something, Latter-day Saints would go there and we'd probably be like, we spit on the ground, sir. We would not be thrilled with him being there. But we have to remember that perhaps to Missourians, he's a hero. And I think that <laughs> while well, well, we... Okay. While we while this has all been a joke, that's a it's good to remember the different lenses. And Russell mentioned this last week that if you ever put a statue up, you have to decide whom you are going to offend or upset or hurt in doing so. And while I would not be like hurt if a statue of Lilburn Boggs was anywhere, and I'd crack up if for some reason it was on Temple Square, which it never would be, but we have to remember that while he might be regarded as a great governor by Missourians who were raised in Missouri and Northern Missouri state history and all this stuff. But to Latter-day Saints, he's like public enemy number one, right? Like he's, he's hugely infamous in our history. And so to us, a statue of him seems like anathema. It's just, 
Absolutely not. How, how could we possibly have a statue of this man? Look at the terrible things he did to us. So Just, the, I think it's, it's, it's worth thinking about that when it comes to how we talk about statues, because it's easy for us to say I'm not offended by a, you know, the history so involved so. in these yeah. Confederate statues. And we forget that there's a whole lot of other people who might be like, yeah, this means something really offensive and hurtful to me and my history and my people. So it was a joke, but yes. good job, frickety frick. Freddie Frickinger. Oh, the name is so bad. Um, no, but I, I agree. It has brought up some good points. and But also, um, sometimes I kind of wonder, I don't know, watching the whole statue conversation has been kind of interesting. And this is sort of adjacent. Yeah. That uh, there was another article published, I think this week, about um, making sense of the church's history on race, which I actually felt like touched on a lot of the points that you uh, spoke about last week with Russell. I actually, I thought that episode was was really, really great. And especially since I've like personally been wanting to know more about like what the black Mormon experience is like and have honestly been at a bit of a loss of where to go and find that there's some historical stuff, obviously that you can find. Um, but like uh, modern day, I, I've been struggling to come up with, you know, either like people to follow on Twitter or, you know, really, really where to go for that. So if anyone has any suggestions, I am all ears and open for that. Um, I also thought it, he made an interesting point that I wanted to bring up again, which was where he sort of felt like we were past the point of reading or uh, which I don't know if I entirely agree with, but I, I can see his point about rather than like just reading about it, then you need to actually, you know, if, if you feel like you are able to and are interested in doing so, then, you know, you need to act on that and be able to actually create some change. So I thought there were some really good points. And again, this, this little history rewrite goes through some very, very similar sorts of um, similar points, which is worth a read and worth a look. And you, I think have some comments on that one, Jeff, or do you want me to keep cruising? Um, yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it, like you said, it's a, it covers some of the same ground, but it's worth a read. Uh, I, I think there might be some who would read it and, be critical in the sense that they think this is someone who's being a rabble rouser or critical of the brethren or what have you. And that's sure. okay. I mean, that, that's a fair interpretation. I choose to read this more as just from the perspective of a historian. Yeah. Not that I am one, but not that I want to understand. You can be matter of fact about things. And it doesn't mean that you have to kill your faith to be matter of fact about it. Like I believe, I believe personally Brigham Young was a prophet. I believe he was also a racist. I, I don't, and I don't just say that because he was a product of his time and we give him a pass. There's a lot of stuff that went on yeah. that caused this. Um, and, and part of the main crux of his argument here, though, is that the church was pursuing uh, whiteness, which is kind of an interesting argument, in that the, the church was on the outs so much as a people, because at first we were so inclusive about everybody. We're like, we don't care where you're from or what your history is. Like, well, this, this is the gospel is here for everybody. And that upset a lot of mainstream America. Yeah. Um, and then there's a certain irony in that, because then we started to turn on that with racial issues while at the same time trying to tell everyone far and wide that polygamy was God's will. Yes. At which the same like time, right? Which no one was okay with in America. Way more isolating, I think, than if we had... I mean, maybe it wouldn't have been, but looking back, obviously, in hindsight, it feels like that one was probably, yeah, more isolating to the rest of like American society and American ideals than perhaps like having, you know, welcoming 
some people of different races. I mean, that's just an opinion and a guess, but of course, I mean, I can understand though that it's going to be like, it's, it's not a comfortable feeling looking back and seeing like a prophet or any particular church leader and like trying to accept like a pretty scary label, like a racist. But, um, I've been trying to understand like a slightly different approach that, um, from reading like Abram X. Kendi's writing and how, uh, like from my, this is probably oversimplify a lot of what he says, but like, instead of trying to like look back in history and pick out particular people as racist and put like all of the blame and all of the problem on them, instead look at this as a greater, system because every person and every individual is complex we all have light and darkness good and bad um and that's not like to justify and say you know you can like keep your bad parts because we all got a little bit of that but trying to look at this as um honestly maybe as something a little bit bigger than us that like well not just bigger than us but like there's policies in place um that aren't just coming from one particular person who was, you know, a racist, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, no, no, in the it, church, it does, they're yeah. definitely, it, like, it wasn't all Brigham Young. There was, you know, he was there definitely probably, you know, from what your chat with Russell, he changed his mind about it and probably led some of the way. But I uh, cannot he believe the church he was for the, the only longest one. period yeah. of anyone, like of any tenure as a prophet by yeah. far. No one. Yeah. I, the interesting thing is we talk about I love this one paragraph in it because we say like what was the what were the roots of policies on race in the church and on on, on priesthood bans all those sorts of things mm. and he does say the stories that we tell matter because to argue that the racial priesthood and temple restrictions began with the revelation according to the article is simply false because where is the revelation we are supposed to believe started the restrictions that supposedly indicate that it was God's will can we read it? And that's an interesting point to me because, like, right. there's no revelation about this. It's not codified anywhere. The only revelation that we have in LDS scripture canon on race and priesthood came to Spencer W. Kimball in June 1978, which rescinded the priesthood ban. You know, that's official declaration too, uh, which has been read in to be part of Doctrine and Covenants. That's an interesting way to look at it, I think, because the church is governed by lots of policies that don't come out as revelation. But if we were to regard something like this or – say the November policy from five years ago, for example, as driven by revelation, why we as a people have not received this revelation, right? more or less. And I know it is different to take the step and say, because they used to vote on sections of Doctrine and Covenants, you know, whether to include it in Scripture, and, and that is a different step. But interesting arguments there. I don't agree with everything in the article, but it's uh, there's some good stuff to think about. Yeah, it's, I'm glad that we're having a lot of these conversations now. Although, if I could just like take a minute and say that I think that for a lot of people, these conversations have been, well, let's specify a lot of like non-black people. This conversation has been kind of difficult to have. And I think a lot of that comes from something that I haven't seen spoken about as much, which is the way that we express solidarity. And honestly, the way that the internet has influenced the way that we express this and also empathy and how that comes into this. And I think that this applies to loads of other issues, not just Black Lives Matter in your, you know, local community or within the church and the greater world, but it could, like, it's, it applies to any sort of way that a person is, um, 
like any issue that a person is having. And I've just watched, and I think a lot of people have, like in the wake of George Floyd's killing, there was a massive response and loads of reactions online and on social media, like commentary, reading lists, documentary suggestions, all sorts of Instagram posts. And I think it was great if you're someone who's like keen to jump into those resources because they're right in front of your face. You didn't really have to look that hard. But I also heard a lot of um, non-black people like express anxiety about contributing or making a statement. And sometimes that was feeling the pressure to comment um, because they felt like if they didn't say something, then like, oh no, then I'm going to look like a racist (laughs) Um, and, or feeling flustered. Like, what can I possibly say about the black experience? Because, you know, I'm white. And um, there have been some really interesting articles that have tried to kind of talk about the way that like maybe social media activism isn't serving the purpose that we need it to right now. Um, And also that, uh, there was, let's see, there was a, a book that I recently read um, by Jaya Tolentino. Um, she wrote a book of essays called Trick Mirror. And there's one about the internet in there. And she writes about how, uh, like, this to me was just spot on about how, like, the internet has cheapened solidarity because it brings the I into everything. Um, and so I think that's kind of where the feeling of, like, oh, I can't participate in this conversation because, like, I'm not black and I haven't had, like, mm. racist sort of you know, actions towards me. So like, this isn't my conversation. And that's when you kind of see people like try and bow out. But um, I wanted to read this little bit that she had said or what she wrote, which was that uh, the internet can make it seem like supporting someone literally or means literally sharing in their experience that solidarity is a matter of identity rather than politics or morality. Under these terms, instead of expressing morally obvious solidarity with the struggle of black Americans under the police state, the internet would encourage me to express solidarity through inserting my own identity. And I, to me, this was like, super spot on. I know this is getting kind of uh, like I'm on my soapbox here right now, but I do think that this point is important because we look at solidarity and then also I think by default empathy as, you know, you can't understand my experience if you haven't lived it or, but I, I think that that's incorrect. You know, we can, we have imaginations, you know, you don't have to, uh, like she uses the example, like you don't have to step in poo to like guess what that feels like you know we are capable of imagining that and so I've heard again and a lot of other people say like oh you know I could never truly understand what it's like to face racism and what that's really saying is like you haven't lived it and that's okay because you know you're a white person you're not going to live it but that doesn't mean that you can't participate in some way whether that be you know political or moral or maybe you do have you know a personal experience that you want to jump on social media and share but I think the whole point of this is just that I think that there are other ways of showing that and it doesn't have to be on social media and it doesn't have to be you know, inserting yourself into the conversation. Like it's, it may not be about you and that's fine, but it also doesn't make you like a bad person if you're trying to show solidarity in a different way. Anyways, those have been my thoughts on that. And I feel like that's, if, if we could slightly shift the way that we've 
relied on like inserting ourselves into the conversation. I think that maybe this conversation would go a lot further. I like it. Thank you. You know who? Uh, you know who just doesn't know how to read the room, right? Oh, now? I love this one. His name's Tad Callister. Everybody, <laughs> you might know him and love him. Emeritus General Authority, uh, former, and then later on the uh, General Sunday School President, responsible for much of the curricula that you currently enjoy at church. Tad Callister, wonderful man. He's even been interviewed on uh, Leading Saints by our buddy Kurt Frankham. But Tad decided, like, now it's the 4th of July. I get it. But now was the time to write an article called The Founding Fathers, Heroes or Villains. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, I missed the title. Is that what it's really called? That is what it's called. It leads off quoting Ted Stewart, a federal judge, who actually says, judging the Founding Fathers by today's standards of equality and justice is is a failure. Some of them owned slaves. None fought to give women equal rights. Most were wealthy white men. But there is just one problem with judging them by today's standards, and it is this. But for those imperfect founders and the sacrifices that they made and the instruments of government which they created, there would be no current enlightened standards of equality and justice by which to judge them. And that's, that's so, you know, it's Ted Stewart, a federal judge, but but then Callister says, Stewart is so right. The reason we can criticize and do all the things we can do right now is because of the slave-holding white men <laughs> from a long time ago. Uh, now, now, and then this go it goes into more arguments, you know, about essentially the divine. He has another piece about sort, you know, the divine nature of the founding of the country and a lot of, you know. Classic stuff that everyone who has a copy of of the prayer at Valley Forge hanging on their wall is going to appreciate. Like it's 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 rallying the troops for that sort of thing. But I just I get it because it was the Fourth of July. But yeah. I don't know, Tad. Like follow the moment, buddy. Now is not the time to be saying let's not criticize our founding fathers. Like I think it's okay to criticize our founding fathers. It's okay to look into our history with Brigham Young. It's okay to acknowledge that. Yeah, we have some bad stuff in the past. And that doesn't mean it's okay. Like, I'm, I am grateful. I'm an American. I was born in suburban Southern California, right? I had an easy upbringing, all the freedoms you could want. I was not born in a developing country. I was not born, born under a military junta. Nothing like that, right? I'm very blessed and I recognize that. And a lot of that is due to the work of a handful of people 244 years ago. Absolutely true. But uh, that doesn't mean that we can't look at the legacy of what they did in other areas and realize that things like slavery were a problem. It took us a long time to even get rid of slavery, and it took a war to do it. And we did it after our old colonial masters even got rid of slavery, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Like the – I don't know. I just – I don't mind a piece like this in general, and Tad makes good points, but I just think like it, I think it was just, just so I, boneheaded yes. in this moment. And I know it's because we came up on the 4th of July, and it's a great time to reflect on the Founding Fathers, but just... Uh, yeah, I'm with you on that. It seems a little, just like the timing, not quite right on it. Um, I think it's maybe a little bit rich to assume that, you know, equality never would have come up if it like hadn't first (laughs) been brought up by the U S I mean, that's just like an alternate reality that we don't know. It maybe was totally us. It may be also like you have been away from, you could have have popped up elsewhere. Just saying. You've forgotten that this is the only country that matters. (laughs) 
How dare you? Uh, I mean, he made. I I thought he made some interesting points about how like they're they were a unique collection of men, and that they were brought together for, you know, this purpose that created a country where the restoration could take place. You know, that's great. Do I think it was maybe the right time? Kind of. Kind of unclear on that one, but you know what? Who also didn't do a great job with timing, and it, oh, oh. it was it was Elder Bednar. He's in the news again, <laughs> um, which is the, for the exact same statement and the talks that he or the the talk that he had. Uh, let's see. I think you guys spoke about this two weeks ago, so we have we, we, definitely yeah, covered we talked, it. We've talked Bednar but, a bit already. Um, the exponents covered it again. And was basically saying the same sort of stuff that, um, or it had it it had cut and pasted a couple of his specific comments and then responded to those. And um, I mean, for me, I appreciated that they kind of called out that this was sort of an American centric view, which is not like a bad thing, because he was speaking at a U.S. based event. You know, and that's the audience that it was for. But you also mentioned that he was speaking in his, you know, role and capacity as a member of the 12. And so for me, the main thing was just it would be nice if maybe the 12 could be a little bit more considerate that their comments are being read and spread around the world. It's going beyond the little conference that he was chatting at um, because it went on the news site. So um, there are things that are being shared at a local context and then delivered globally um, that sometimes I think with that expansion, they just kind of miss the bark a little bit. That's, that's why well, I think the author's closing paragraph is insightful. Okay. She says, I agree. I agree with Elder Bednar that our government has some serious problems and we need to be awake and alive to them. Sure. That's good. I do not agree that temporary restrictions to protect the most vulnerable in a time of pandemic are a form of persecution. Right. I mean, look, we all want to complain about this virus. I have done it so many times as if any of us haven't like, but it ultimately needs to be a time that we're more willing to be united in overcoming it than like just solely and exclusively complaining about it. But anyways, that's my opinion. Um, now, if I – yeah, and I'm with you on that. We've talked about Bednar a lot if you want yeah, to talk more about Yeah, we can Bednar. move on from Bednar. There's the past couple of shows. But also on the COVID front, uh, Utah religious leaders from various faiths have been urging Utahns to wear masks to help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Uh, Utah's governor, though, Gary Herbert, who has repeatedly urged wearing face coverings in the midst of the pandemic, joined them in releasing this plea from the office. Though you should note that Herbert has refused to take actual action to require it to mandate anything in any capacity. And I've heard a lot of funny stuff about he was waiting until after the gubernatorial primary because oh. his the, – the mystique about it is that Spencer Cox, his lieutenant governor, who's also been ta- kind of the COVID czar, has not done the best job. And if they tell people, no, you do need to wear masks, it's like admitting defeat. And then it could have political ramifications and it could lose to John Huntsman. Oh, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. But it, it was official as of today that Spencer Cox defeated John Huntsman in the primary to be Utah's next governor. And because Utah will elect a Republican, there's no question about that. Spencer Cox will be the next governor of Utah. Anyway, the thing that cracks me up, though, is that we've got, like, faith leaders saying, wear masks, but no one's, like, enough saying, no, like, for real, wear masks. Like, you can't come to church without a mask. Like, friggin' Utah, man. <laughs> Utah drives me 
It's just like, guys. Tell me how you really feel, Jeff. Wearing a mask. I'm like rush on this episode, aren't I? Wearing a mask is not an affront on your civil rights. It's putting a something stupid thing on your face. It's not comfortable. Sure, it's not. Do you think I like wearing one every time I go shopping? And the fact that for the past four months, all the shopping in my family has been done by me, the able-bodied, non-caring-for-a-newborn member of our household. And I run out and I wear a mask. I'm not looking for things, but yeah, like I have to run out and like I wear a mask and and I'm careful with all the stuff we buy and we we still disinfect most of our food and the things we buy. And it's a pain in the butt. I don't want that. Nobody wants that. But you know why I wear the mask? Not because the mask prevents me from getting sick, because it doesn't. The mask helps other people in the event I am symptomatic or asymptomatic. It helps them be protected. And if all of us were to wear masks, this massive Petri dish that's known as society would be thwarted in some ways, and it would help us. And you know what? It's not an affront to my personal freedom to wear a mask. I'm just putting a mask on at times. Whoop-dee-doo. I am very sympathetic to people who go to work and have to wear masks all day, especially because we're pushing reopening hard. So everyone in like the service industry are just wearing masks all day long. I would hate to have to do that. I would absolutely not love it in the least. And my heart goes out to all of you people. So don't sit there and complain to me that you have to wear a mask to go shopping or some garbage like that. Like, grow up, people. I'm so freaking tired of the anti-mask movement. I'm so tired of it. Like, if you disagree with me, unsubscribe to this podcast. I don't even care because I'm so tired of it at this point where you're all acting as if the government is bearing down on you and the next thing they're going to do after they tell you to wear a mask is then they're just going to, like, probably quarter troops in your house, you know? I am loving that there has been more finger-pointing on this video that we have just between the two of us than almost any other time that we've recorded, myself included. <laughs> and it's fantastic. We're like finger wagging and waving around over here. No, but I'm I just like, it, it's, such, it's such a basic, stupid, easy thing to do. Yeah. And it's because we're so obsessed with rugged individualism in the United States yeah. that we can't take a step back and say, let's think about the public good just for a second. And it's the same mentality that underfunds our schools. It's the same mentality that drives all sorts of social ills because we refuse to take a step back and do what might just be good for the public good, our own convenience be darned. Heaven forbid we have to do something outside of ourselves. And the real irony in all of it is we're Latter-day Saints and we're supposed to be all about putting other people first. Like that's our primary charge. Like ministering and care. Yeah. And I know and I know that ministering and and spiritual nurturing aren't exactly the same thing, but that mentality should cross over into all aspects. Oh, of I our think lives. it counts. I definitely count my mask wearing as ministering. <laughs> I'm ministering to the rest of the community. You are welcome. And if anybody really does want to complain about it, you can direct your complaints at me because, you know, Arizona, yes, it's really hot. I get that. But try having that heat and 100% humidity. Texas, y'all, I see you. But no, Singapore is still literally worse and it is a requirement here. So... Anyways, I more than anything, when people complain, oh, it's just so hot and it's sweaty. You know, I cannot walk five minutes without having a sweaty mustache under my mask. So just <laughs> don't. Just don't give well, me that. You know, and I even say, I think it's okay to complain. Oh, like, yeah. Like, it's, it it's is. Fine it's fine. Because it does. It, because, it, because it does stink. Yeah. And I, I worry that there are those who are against things like masks who assume that 
people for masks are like cool with the whole situation. Oh, of course oh. we're not. Like this whole this whole thing is a drag. Yeah, like it's okay. Wearing a mask is a drag. It's not fun, and nobody wants to. No, do it, it gives you a rash. Like we're all united. It gives you acne. There. It gives you acne. Yeah, there is nothing good about it except that it helps other people, and hopefully, and hopefully can you know control the situation. Anyways, yeah. So that's all. It is. I'm going to change. The I shouldn't talk anymore for the rest of the episode, Josie. Okay. All right. Well, I'm going to go to a um, my kind of my kind of topic. I'm going to go upstairs and, and rage eat a whole tube of Oreos. Right it's now. all right. We're going to discuss sexual abuse now. So let's, oh, good, let's, good. Uh, uh, that's great. Segue into chirper things. No, but this is something that I, I think anyone who. Uh, knows a little bit of my writing or whatever I am on this podcast, there's usually always a sexual abuse story for me to find. So this time, um, it is a associate professor from Brigham Young University. <gasps> Shock horror. Um, his name is Michael Clay, and he has been um, charged with two counts of forcible sexual abuse, which is a secondary felony. He has been removed from BYU, I believe, since April. Um and uh, what else do we have uh, to he say? Was about the, he was the head of the urban plan and regional planning yeah. and geography department, which is one of the coolest subject areas. Yeah. How so, I, well, I How think there's as there always are with these kinds of stories. There's a lot of criticism about like what may have actually happened. Um, so, for starters, if the guy is being charged, there's probably a pretty good case against him. Um, not to say that he is not still innocent until proven guilty. Sure. Okay. But these are the things like against him. For starters, he's got a lot of what I would see and be able to classify very quickly as grooming tactics for the specific person purpose of sexual abuse. So things like there was a, uh, female student of his that he, um, tried to position himself as like her mentor and even further than that her therapist because obviously mentors are great and they help you through your career and all sorts of things like that but there is a there is a boundary so things like um he told the victim that she needed to change her body chemistry whatever the heck that means and that she needed to um practice like how to be a good wife and that he could help her with that there are things like he would um like she i believe this particular victim talked about meeting with a counselor or a psychologist and um clay told her that meetings with him was going to be something more effective there are countless examples in this uh deseret news report of how He's using his position as a professor that is going beyond the bounds of what a professor should be doing. So meeting with your student is fine, right? That's like, I, I just, it's frustrating that sometimes when these stories come up, people feel like, oh, well, I just can't help anybody um, and because I'll look like I'm an abuser. No, there are clear examples that he's doing that are specific grooming tactics, which are, you know, making yourself as uh like the key person like the key emotional support um that this particular victim was relying on helping her on the inside that would then help her with her career like there there are definitely some borderline things here um he gave her the victim a priesthood blessing on one point and told her that he should or that he would pray for her and at one point said that he felt inspired 
from God to engage in physical contact with the victim. Okay, this is not revelation that you're going to receive. Never. Okay, so that is like clear, clear boundaries that have been crossed. Um, and so anyways, that's that's what's happened there. And um, let's see if I missed anything. Oh, it's so bad. Yeah, it is. It Yeah. I mean... I mean, the stuff he said, like, go home and, like, yeah, go practice more. And it, like, ah. They're just like, this it was therapy. He led the victim to believe this was therapy for previous yeah. issues. Yes, because I prayed that you should straddle me. Yeah. And that's going to help you work through your stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Never mind, I'm the head of the urban planning department, and nothing I'm saying should I have no credentials or position whatsoever to be helping you work through your stuff. Because again, you are I'm not exactly. I'm doing an, I'm an urban planner. Yeah. So I had seen it from Springville, which by the way, if you're an urban planner in Springville, maybe you could actually urban plan Springville. buddy. <laughs> so I had seen a couple of tweets go around when this story sort of first broke. I think it was probably a week or two ago. Um, and some students who were speaking out and taking the side of the victim and saying, look, it is very clear that he holds a lot of power within the department and to other students as well, made it very clear that he had the power to like make or break their career. And it was, you know, always, yeah, it was a, it was a boss to intern. Relationship. Yeah, yeah, he's for sure. Yes. He can hire interns. He has a lot of that control. And so that's where some of these power dynamics, they're not like, I don't know that I can even really say that they're initially wrong because of course there's always going to be a, like a d- different dynamic between a professor and a student. And they're always going to have some control about being able to help you progress. But um, there, there are, there are boundaries. <laughs> Grooming is an actual thing. And that's how abusers can build trust in their victims so that they don't say no when that happens, which is exactly what happened in this instance. The victim said that she felt like she had to say yes. And yeah. that's anyways, it is not good. So no, no, it's not. Uh, we'll leave you though on some, a couple uppity. Things yes. Let's quick. bring us back you know, up. There is a podcast about saints. Saints, of course, being the church-produced book delving into our history uh, in a in a happy way. Um, <laughs> and to be clear, this is different than just like the recorded reading of Saints, the book. We have yeah, our own specific a, podcast. They have thirty-minute episodes. It's, it's it's very similar, like what we used to do with Sunday School Bonanza, right? Cool. But this is a thirty-minute episode where they go through chapters of the book Saints and discuss it, right? So it's totally worthwhile. Uh, it's a church production, so I think it's great. Yeah. I think you shouldn't expect them to talk in depth like we did last week about like the priesthood ban or things like that. But I think there's a lot of worthwhile content here because sure. Saints is a good production and I'm a believer in it. So it's cool to check out. And I believe you can access that wherever you get podcasts and you should do so. And a real quick one. We haven't done as much international news this week. And um, most of that is because we have lots of really good uh, like – the church is giving during a time of coronavirus. And that's so, like all it is. Yeah. It's just look what we're doing. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much it. Some of them are kind of cool and unique. Like um, there's a, let's see, um, New Zealand has like during their lockdown, that was I think roughly around a three-month period as well, they indexed nearly 
like 1 million names, um, which is pretty cool. We have some other ones like uh, LDS charity, sorry, Latter-day Saint Charities um, donated uh, 250 iPads um, in Spain to help out some students who are studying in quarantine. We gave computers also to um, students in... New Zealand as well, and also I think some other Pacific Island areas. I may be incorrect on that. It might just be New Zealand, but they're still an island, so they count. Um, things like that. Oh, and I liked this one because Mongolia almost never gets a shout out, which is that we've donated some baby cradles and other essentials to them. So mostly we continue the giving, which I think is really great. And I think I've also, or I've also seen some mentions that uh, this has probably been one of the most active periods for our humanitarian branch, um, possibly ever. So it's it's nice to see that we're jumping in. Also, I guess the pessimists out there could see this as a really sad time that there's so much that they have to contribute to. But hey, you know what? This is what our rainy day fund is for, right? Maybe. I think so. Maybe. <laughs> Boom. That's what Twim is, everybody. Fresh, unfiltered. And you can find us everywhere you get podcasts. Unlike Josie's podcast, you can find us like everywhere. Okay. But Josie's going to get you know there. What? She's a pat. It's like one week Padawan. old. Give me a break. I'm new at this. I will give you a break. Okay. You're doing great. You're doing great. Thank Thanks. you. Um, but please find Josie's podcast, Careering. I think that Careering, right? It's a gerund. Yes. Careering. Yes. yes. Uh, give that a look on Spotify, but it should be up everywhere else soon. You can find us at thisweekinwormans.com. Subscribe if you have not done so wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review as well. That would be super dynamite of you to do so. And please support us on Patreon by giving us $1 per month. Un dólar es lo que quiero. Solamente un dólar. <laughs> ya está. We hope you all have a great week. Thanks for being here. Josie, nice to see you. Thank you. Much love to you and to all of you for listening. Appreciate your time. Be well, be holy, and be happy. This Week in Mormons is gone!